Well, welcome to our second week in our series, Full of Joy. And we're really asking the question, what would it take to be filled with joy? What would it take to live a life overflowing with joy? And we're looking through the book of Philippians, where uh, Paul says this interesting thing that I'm really captivated by. He says in Philippians 4.12, he says, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Wouldn't that be wonderful if we knew that secret? Wouldn't it be great if we had that secret in our life? If we could say, no matter what is going on around me, I have figured out how to be content. I have figured out the secret. And I really do believe that it's something that is elusive, something that is difficult, something that we have to work at, but something that as we go through the book of Philippians, we start to get some of the practical ways and we start to get an understanding of the secret that Paul has that he wants to convey to us. So last week, we started with Philippians chapter 1, and we talked about joy over suffering, because we know Paul is writing this letter in prison, and he's dealing with incredible suffering, and he says, even though I am in chains, I know that God's going to do something through it. And he says, even in that circumstance and situation that is obviously uh, not ideal, he's going to make The most of it, and God does incredible things through Paul's life when he is in jail. And so today we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2. And really the question that uh, I, I want us to kind of think about is what do we do when we face an unfair situation? What do we do in life when things are not fair? When things are unjust? When we particularly are facing something that, that like, we didn't deserve or we didn't, like, we didn't... We didn't do anything to cause this, but something in our lives is completely unfair. Let's be clear. Life is not fair. Have we learned that lesson yet? Um, We have some teens in the room here. Life is not fair. Um, When you say, that's not fair, and shout that out to your parents, yeah, we know it. We, 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 We got it. We got it. Trust us, we know life is not fair. You know, sometimes people are born with with more money, more talent, more opportunity than they deserve. And you look at somebody like that and you're like, oh my goodness. Like, really, could you spread around a little bit of like, like all of that stuff? Like, you're really that tall, that smart, that good looking, and that wealthy? That's not fair. You know, and we, we maybe look at people like that sometimes, and it's like, that's not fair. You know, I've met people before that are like, uh, like going on their 98th birthday, and they, you know, you, you hear the story, and they smoked every day of their life. And it's like, and they're perfectly healthy, and they're fine. It's like, that is not fair, okay? I have no, I don't smoke at all. And, um... Uh, You know, and it just doesn't seem like that makes a lot of sense. And you see other people that deal with all kinds of physical health issues. There's sometimes, which is even worse, that we see in our society, in our world, people get away with things. Doesn't that drive you nuts? When somebody gets away with something and they get away with something and it's blatant and it's obvious and it's like, doesn't make sense. Maybe it's even at your work. There's somebody that just gets away with everything every single time. Or maybe it's, you know, one of those political figures. I won't name any names. It like seems, gets away with everything and it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And others seem to like kind of like get in trouble for nothing. And it's not 
fair. Life is not fair. I think we all understand that, and the longer we live, uh, we, we realize that there is all kinds of injustice all around us, that things are not equally distributed, that it is unfair. And so ultimately, we have to take peace in the fact that we know that God is the ultimate judge, and in the end, God will do what is right, and God will make everything right. But right now, we have to, but it's not, it's not yet. And we have to deal with the now. And so we need to ask ourselves, how are we going to learn the secret to being content when things are not fair? Is what we can deal with is we can rail on all the things that are unfair that would keep you busy in life. Or we can decide how we're going to respond. And so the response is something we're going to talk about and work on a little bit today. So... Um, in chapter 1 of uh, Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 1, Paul kind of concludes the last part and talks about kind of, kind of the situation that we all find ourselves in and his encouragement to us. And he, I'm flipping along and trying to find it. And, and, and he talks about at the end of Philippians 1, he says, you know, stand firm, continue on, uh, act in the manner, conduct yourself in the manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And that's kind of what we concluded with last week, saying conduct yourself in a way, conduct yourself that you are doing the right thing and following God in the right way, no matter what is going on around you. And he's saying that in light of his suffering. But that particular word, I think, is important for us to start out with today. He says, you know, that conduct yourself. That's actually uh, literally translated is be a citizen. That's another way it could be translated. And so the Philippians were a part of the Roman Empire. And there was lots of different things you had to be to be a citizen in the Roman Empire. And he kind of uses that language. He said, be a good citizen. Do the things that you know you're supposed to do. But obviously, he's not talking about the Roman Empire. He's talking about be a good citizen. Be a good citizen in the kingdom of God. Be a good Christian citizen in a way. He's talking about rep your, represent yourself in a way that is going to be positive instead of a negative one. And that's, that's kind of how he concludes the last chapter, and we get into chapter 2 right now. So let's read, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, Having the same love, being one in spirit and mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but each, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. So, so as we look at this, kind of Paul shifts and starts kind of like talking to the people uh, in Philippi and saying, this is how you can be the good citizen, this person in the kingdom of heaven. This is how you can do these things. And he opens up with kind of this like really emotional plea here in chapter two. He's like, you know, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any, any love, any, any communion with God's spirit. He's just kind of talking about over and over. He's saying, is your heart at all transformed? Are you in line with what God wants for your life? Are you in lockstep with God? Is your heart transformed and changed? And do you care at all? If so, then what you need to be doing is you need to be humble. If you care at all, you need to be humble. And he's saying this in light of all of the things going on in his life and in light of the fact that the people in Philippi are also dealing with suffering and persecution. He's saying you need to be humble. You need to be humble in this situation. And in fact, it's a do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but to the interest of others. I got to tell you that if I was in a difficult situation and facing persecution and injustice and a situation that was unfair, I would not want to be scolded and told to be humble. Right? It doesn't, doesn't feel like it. It's much easier to whine. Right? I would much rather whine about the difficulty going on in my life. I would much rather complain about all the things going on. And I'd much rather, like, like cry out to God and say, God, fix it and get this all right, instead of hearing a stinking lecture about being humble. But that's the phrase he uses. And he goes in and he talks in detail about how, what Christ did. Uh, it, and just thinking about this word of humility in light of, you know, kind of joy and having this positive attitude and like being a person that finds joy in difficult circumstances is that I, I really believe that living a life of, com- of comparison to whatever else is going on is a road to discontent. Have you ever lived that life? The road of comparing all of my situations, problems to somebody else. Comparing like what my life could be compared to what it is. Like laying, uh, laying awake at night thinking about, if only this was a little bit different or that was a little bit different. If only that was, it, if only my spouse was just a little bit nicer. Or my family had a little bit more money to pass down to me. Wouldn't that, like, if only these things were going on, my life would be great and perfect. It's this, it's this kind of comparison game that is a road to discontent in life. It's a road to, to like, never really finding true joy. But I believe a life of humility leads to a, a, is a road that leads to joy. 
a life of humility. It doesn't seem like it. It seems like a word that we would kind of use to say, like somebody is maybe even beaten down. And that's not the context or the word that it's trying to use. It's saying, understand what is most important. Don't like be out there and uh, don't be out there like saying, you know, everything needs to go my way. Humble yourself a bit. It's not saying we're going to live our life where we're going to be run over by everything or not take control or anything. That's not, that's not the context of the word. The context of the word is just really saying, um, you know what? If you want to have joy in your life, you need to be humble. Why? Because life is not fair. So if you don't come to grips with some of that, if you don't pause a little bit and come to peace with a little bit of that, it's going to be discontent all the time. Living a life of humility kind of flips the script. And it focuses on obedience instead of like focusing on what I wish was different in my life. And that's what it says about Jesus, is he focused on obedience. Jesus gave us the example. And he gave us the example to live by. Like he lived a difficult, hard life. He went to the cross. And we see this depicted in this passage. He humbled himself, and he did not deserve in any way to be humble. It's God of the universe. In fact, this scripture is is one that is so confusing that many people have misinterpreted it. It's confusing, and this is why. It's really confusing because it's saying, like, Jesus humbled himself. And and that's kind of weird. The God of the universe humbled himself. And many people have misinterpreted it because... Of the way it's worded. It's saying like he made himself nothing. Took the nature of a servant. And then God exalted him. And, it, and some people have said. Does this mean that Jesus really isn't God? Or does this mean that Jesus is just like something else? No. Like we have to get our minds around. Jesus willfully chose and understood what he'd go through. And said I'm okay with it. I will be humbled. I will when, when, when Roman guards are yelling and shouting things at me, I will keep my mouth shut. In this moment, there will have authority over me. When people nail me to a cross, I won't, like, strike them dead with lightning. He chose to humble himself. It doesn't mean he was any less God or any less powerful in any of those moments. But it's hard for us to wrap our mind around that. He said, in this moment, I will be humble. It was almost one of the most incredible displays of self-control ever to be able to say, in this moment of absolute anguish and suffering, I will be humble. I will come to peace with what is going on. Why? Because I'm being obedient. Jesus understood there was more going on. Jesus understood that there was a big thing taking place, that the salvation story in the history of the world was unfolding. And for, for, for years upon years, we would gather together and worship and celebrate the risen Jesus Christ that died for our sins, that we would know and understand the love of God without a shadow of a doubt because Christ gave up his life for us, that he would be the sacrifice for our sins. He understood something bigger going on. And so in the moment where he could have complained, he cho- chose to obey. 
Now, now this is difficult in our life. But there are times when things are unfair that we have to focus on obedience instead of trying to right every wrong. There's times we have to do that. There's times we have to come to peace with the world is unfair. We have to come to peace with things around us will not exactly happen as we might like. Yet, it's okay to, to seek justice. It's okay to seek the truth. But there will be moments where things are unfair. And Jesus said, I will still obey. I will be okay with the broader picture and things going on. We, each of us, have to make this decision in our life at some point or another. We don't have to make a decision of whether we're going to follow uh, God's plan to go on the cross. That's not it. But this world, God, in his wisdom, I don't know why, because I'm not God. God, in his wisdom, has allowed there to be some injustice that is not dealt with immediately. God has allowed things to be unfair sometimes. God has allowed freedom and human peace. Human people to make decisions that really affect and hurt other people. God has allowed that to exist right now and in this time. And in the end, God says it will come to an end, but not yet. So are we willing to be obedient right now and follow God right now, even though we're in the middle of this place that is confusing? Even though we're in the middle of this time period that things are not fair? A humble response is admitting that I cannot undo all, all things that are unfair. I can't. But I can, I, I can be a part of something broader that is going on, something that is a part of the solution, and just obey God. Obey God. Follow God. Be humble myself. Be, be, be joyful myself. In the midst of that, be different. And... And, and look and see through the eyes of God that God has a higher purpose that is going on that is not 100% clear right now. And, and, and just ask yourself, how can I serve God's purpose in a time and season where things aren't going the way that I wish they would? The reality is, is, is things are not always going the way that... That God wishes they would in our life and other people's lives. God doesn't want us to continue to fall into sin. God doesn't want us to kill one another. God doesn't want us to do all these things. But God, for some reason, in his infinite wisdom, has said, this will happen and this will be a season in uh, human existence that there will be things that are unfair. But there will be a time that it comes to an end. In the middle of that, our job is to obey. And that's what Christ did. He obeyed. He did the right thing. It's easy to go down a road where everything around us is unjust. So as a result, I am going to quit. And I'm not going to follow God or I'm going to throw in the towel because everything else around me is going bad. There, there is a great temptation to do that. If you see injustice all around you, there's a great temptation to succumb to that pressure and just say, forget it. I quit. And Jesus, instead, he obeyed. And that's the example we have. And that's what Paul says. If you have anything in your heart following God, you need to be like Jesus was in these moments. When things are not just, you need to follow Jesus' example. 
he continues on in verse 12, and it says this. And, and kind of the first therefore in verse 1 was he's like, if you have any, therefore, if you have any encouragement, follow Christ. There's a second kind of therefore that starts this passage, how we should act. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will uh, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Be joyful. Rejoice no matter what. And so he says right here, he says that God is working to fulfill a good purpose in you and in the world. God is at work. God is doing something. God is uh, at work in human history and at work in your life. So don't argue and don't grumble. Don't grumble and don't argue. You know, um, the whole, it's interesting how it uses these phrases because the Bible really tells us that there are entire generations of people that were completely lost to grumbling and arguing. And, and I think this reference right here is specifically pointing back to some of the generations that came before. It's, it talks about how there was generations before that, were, that didn't follow God. Really, if we look through the whole Bible, there's a series of times and events where the people who were supposed to be following God were completely, almost the whole generation was lost and kind of missed it because they just grumbled and argued about the situation in their life. We see the Israelites wandering around in the desert and a whole generation is completely lost. We see time and time again where there's seasons where they're facing oppression and difficulty from the outside and they completely abandon God and all they do is grumble and argue. If you read through the Old Testament, the nation of Israel is a picture of people who like pretty much just grumble and argue, grumble and argue along until at some point in time, like some miraculous thing happens. And sometimes they kind of shape up after a little while. And I think Paul is specifically pointing to this and saying how serious of an issue this could be. Can you imagine a whole generation of things that God wants to do being completely lost over grumbling and arguing because that's what happened and it's happened time and time again and he's saying if if you really trust that god is doing something among you that should not be a part of your life Uh, avoid the grumbling and arguing because that's what that's what all these other generations did 
That's what they did, and they, were, they pretty much did not move the ball forward because of their attitude in, in the middle of that. You know, I believe that, that um, prayer is something that really reorients our life around God's will, but gr- grumbling shows contempt for God's goodness. If, if there's a moment where you're really struggling with something, then, then pray about it. It's perfectly understandable to go to God and say, God, I have no idea why this is going on. God, I am so confused about this. God, there is injustice all around me, and I wish it would change. And go to God with the Spirit saying, this is, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with. God, I, I am seeking guidance. I am seeking help. But, but grumbling, if we get to a point where we just go around in our life and we just grumble, and are just like, I'm done with what God wants, and I'm just kind of going my own way, I quit. What we're doing is we're showing contempt for God's goodness. We're not fully understanding that God is good. God has done things through us. God has given us good gifts. God has saved us and given us an opportunity for eternal life. God has done many good things and will do many good things. Grumbling just shows contempt. It looks at God and says, I I, I don't trust that, ultimately. Prayer is a great way to handle it. Because it's it's going to God and kind of refocusing ourselves back on what God wants to do. But grumbling just kind of is is the way that drives us away from God. It's kind of, if you imagine, like some of those, those parental moments that you had in life. Where, like, all of a sudden, all the good things that you have done for your kids, right? And, like, like we've had several of these moments before in our family where it's like you work on a nice meal. You're like, all right, this is going to be a good one. Let's try to make it so the kids like it. Let's, let's do this. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll set it up nice. We'll do all this. And then it's like, ugh, I don't want that. You know, and it's like, it's one of those parenting moments that like kind of gets your blood boiling more than anything else. Am I right about this? It's that grumbling moment. Like, you're not grateful for all I've done. I worked and I got this meal on the table and I worked together and you're going to, you know, and it's just, it's one of the most frustrating moments as a parent when like, when like you try to do good things for your kids and they grumble about it. Man, if, if there's grumbling at my house over like Christmas gifts or, or stuff like that, I'm like, get it together, okay? Because we are not dealing with this, all right? I'm not giving you something and you like come back at me. If you want to pick a fight with me as a parent, start grumbling about it when I start giving you something. We're going to have a problem. And can you imagine? And that's, I, I think God handles it better than I do as a parent, thankfully. But it does show contempt, doesn't it? It shows contempt for the good gifts. It shows contempt for all of, the, uh, all of the things God has done for you. It shows contempt. And yes, not every meal that we have in our home is going to be your favorite meal. But I have given you a house and I've given you a meal. The God of the universe... <laughs> has given us life, and yes, things are sometimes confusing and not as we wish they would be, but don't show contempt for God and his goodness. Instead, pray and say, God, I'm struggling with this. And a good father who hears a humble-hearted person that cares and, and like wants to build that relationship is going to respond with grace. 
But if we show contempt, that's, that's not a path that's going to lead to anything good. That's, that's a, a road that will lead to a discontent life. So this is a big deal. Instead of grumbling, turn your grumbling into seeking. If things are unsettled in your heart or difficult for you to understand, then maybe this is a moment in time where you need to go to your, your creator. You need to go to God and ask God for more understanding. You need to seek God deeper. It's a great opportunity to say, God, I need clarity in this moment because things are unclear. I'm turning to you. Grumbling just makes your life miserable. Seeking God is, is something that draws us closer. And so this is a big deal. It's a really big deal. It's a big deal. Generations were lost as a result of it. And, and I think it is a big deal for even more than that. I think it's important, and it's probably the key component for us to be a good witness to the goodness of God, is not to grumble and argue when things go, don't go our way. It's representing God in the world. Um, I think that joy can be the first and maybe even the most powerful witness to the goodness of God. Joy can be. Just being a joyful person can be the first and maybe most powerful witness to other people. You can say lots of things and try to convince everybody about God, but a joyful life is compelling and hate to say this, but it's true. It's even more compelling in difficult circumstances. A joyful life in a really difficult circumstance is intriguing. And it is like surprising and confusing. And it demonstrates the goodness of God like nothing else. The people in Philippi and many of the people in the first generation of the church went through enormous suffering. They went through more than, than, than almost any other generation went through. And this was a very tenuous time. This was a small group of people that were following God that easily could have been wiped off the face of the earth if they chose to grumble and complain when they dealt with difficulty. And so Paul, as he's in prison, looks at these people and says, don't do it. We've lost generations before because they, fell, they went down this road. But if you do something different, the world will just be blown away. If you, in the middle of your horrible situation, demonstrate joy, people will be transformed. And he tells them this, and these people are the people that will face persecution, death. They face all of these things. And we, what we know about history is that what happened is the world was transformed. The world was not transformed, interestingly enough, by a really, really compelling argument in that, this time and era. It really wasn't. There was times where people had a compelling argument. But really, the first generation in history records that people were transformed by the joy of the early Christians. There is countless story after story that we know from history about people facing death and doing so while praising God. And they praised God and sang praises and said how wonderful 
uh, you know, like God was. And people saw it and did not understand what was going on. The first story, we get one of those stories in the scripture in the book of Acts when when the first martyr, Stephen, is being, uh, like, he's proclaiming Jesus Christ, and they take stones and throw it at him until he dies. And as he is getting pelted by stones, he looks up to heaven and he says, I see the, he's, he's saying, I see the glory of God, and he's praising God in that moment. And people are confused. Right? Would you be confused when somebody who is dealing with death, suffering, difficulty, is joyful. It's confusing. It's disorienting. And so he says, this will be a way that you can shine. This will be a way that you can shine like nobody else can shine. You can shine in the universe. You can demonstrate the goodness of God. And you know what? Yeah. It's really a a tough pill to swallow, but the more difficult of a situation, the more shocking and surprising it is when people find joy in that. The more inspirational it is. The more compelling it is. And so in the first generation, the world turned upside down. The, The whole Roman Empire was against this group of Christians, and they were murdering them left and right, to put to death this little kind of uprising thing. And shockingly, they, they transformed the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire became Christian because they watched people joyfully uh, encounter suffering and difficulty, and they didn't complain or argue. They praised God. And the world was flipped upside down. We, we live in a world with lots of things that are not right. We live in a world where there is injustice. We live in a world where things don't go the way that we wish. And, and, and there is places in our world and around the world where people are getting pushed, persecuted, challenged for saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. And we may say that, yeah, well, let's fight it and let's get rid of it. And God, just get rid of all of the difficulty, suffering, or injustice that's going on. And that would be nice, wouldn't it? But is it possible that it could happen again? Is it possible that the world could get flipped, flipped upside down again? Is it possible that maybe somebody that you know in your life, is like looking at your life and seeing you go through difficult things with joy and they're completely confused and disoriented. Is that possible? I think joy could change somebody's life. I think your joy and attitude could transform someone like no other thing you could possibly do. It may very well be the first and most powerful witness to the world about the goodness of God is our, our joy in difficult circumstances. And so the scripture gives us this pattern. It gives us this picture. And it's people that are going through and enduring more than we ever have. And it's saying, don't complain. Don't argue. Don't grumble. Seek clarity from God. Seek something higher. Seek something different. 
Understand there's something bigger going on than your circumstance here. Humble yourself. Be obedient. Follow what God wants you to do. My goodness, it is hard to understand the secret to being content, no matter what the circumstances are. But really, at the heart of it, it's something that is core to faith. Is coming to a place where we have joy no matter what. May we represent the goodness of God to a world that is full of injustice, pain, difficulty, things that are unfair. May we demonstrate the goodness of God by being people who are joyful instead of grumbling. Will you pray with me? God, as I read through the book of Philippians again, it's so challenging. I want to know that secret. I want to know the secret to being content. But I would say, God, there's many times that I grumble and complain. I argue. I, I, I'm looking at my own interests. Instead of the bigger picture... God, help me to look at the interest of others. God, help me to obey, even when things are unclear. Help me, God, to eliminate grumbling and arguing. God, you are good. And so, God, as we think about all the bad things going on in our world, all the pain, all the doubt, all the, all the stuff that gets in the way of you, as we think about our neighbors and friends that maybe are just beaten down by all this stuff all around us, I pray, God, that we would demonstrate something different, something unique, something surprising, something out of the ordinary, something shocking, that we would be people of joy. And so God, while we don't wish bad, we don't wish difficulty, we don't wish that there's suffering that goes on in anyone's life in this room, we do say, God, when, it's, when our life is dark or when things are difficult, we're going to shine the brightest. And we will proclaim and let the whole world know that God is good. And so God, in those moments when we are going through difficulty, when we are tempted to grumble, to complain, to give up, God, we praise your name.
And when life is good, we will praise you. But life, when life is bad, we will praise you. I invite each of you right now to take a moment and to praise God. Say, thank you, God. Even if you're going through something difficult, say, God, I thank you. I praise you in the middle of it. Because I'm going to demonstrate joy when other people think I should demonstrate something else. I invite you to praise God right now. If, there's, if this is a struggle for you, seek more clarity. Seek God right now. Say, God, I'm confused about this. Help me. And the God of the universe comes to us and guides us and can give us peace. So I invite you to offer your own prayers to God right now.